Welcome to Worker Movement, a podcast dedicated to the working class, a podcast dedicated to raising class consciousness. This podcast is for you, for us, for the worker. After the Taliban conquered Kabul, Biden did a rambling speech attempting to justify the botched withdrawal. The general messaging manufactured by the White House is intent on ignoring the distinction between should we withdraw and how did the withdrawal go. You can support a withdrawal and think that the Biden admin royally fucked up, which is our position. He fucked up the withdrawal so hard that capital won't be able to extract natural resources from Afghanistan and the contract machine from the military industrial complex will dry up. What led to this colossal imperial fuck up? I'm glad you asked. It's essentially we have failed imperialism. If you look at World War One, World War Two, the United States just literally bombed the manufacturing centers of the industrialized world and was able to basically do whatever they wanted to because at that point in time, most of those countries were stuck importing or exporting or had some sort of global footprint outside of globalization. Uh, the difference, though, if you look at Vietnam, the Koreas, Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, they're not global countries, right? They're pretty much self-sustained. So there's no way for them to go into a mostly tribal area install a puppet government, and that puppet government actually has the ability to enforce laws throughout the entire land. And that really worked with the Native Americans, and that worked in the island nations, and that worked in Mexico, and that worked in a lot of the local regions because it was a a co-mingling. It was a colonization. So would you be shocked to hear that Joseph Robinette Biden stated, Our mission in Afghanistan was never supposed to have been nation-building. It was never supposed to be creating a unified, centralized democracy. Our only vital national interest in Afghanistan remains today what it has always been, preventing a terrorist attack on America's homeland. (laughs) I'm not shocked at all because that's exactly why why the policies fail. Because the United States tried it in South America, right? We only colonize the areas close by us. And I'm not saying that I believe in colonization or that I believe in imperialism. What I'm saying is that imperialism cannot last without colonization, without bringing in the individuals you're trying to conquer into your collective. There's just no way that it'll happen. So the standard, basically, game plan of the U.S.'s foreign policy with regard to war in the last 70 years is Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan. And the main premise was we're going to win the hearts and minds of the locals, and then they'll somehow care about America. And in each one of these conflicts, the U.S. has failed to win hearts and minds because, like Biden said, they didn't actually care about nation building. So you can't have one without the other. And the idea that we were going to be in Afghanistan for 20 years and somehow something good was going to come of that is absolutely just batshit stupid. Let's take a look at Iraq. It was, we're going to get rid of Saddam the dictator, right? Just like Libya. We're going to get rid of these dictators. They're going to come to us with open arms. And we will initially be greeted in the region and in Iraq in a way that is close to being viewed as liberators. But the problem is the majority of the population in those countries lived better when they had the dictator in power because they tended to be more egalitarian, right? They tended to share resources, and even though they may have been brutal and heavy-handed at times, they at least had more of an equity within society. But now you look at Libya, 
and you look at Iraq, and it's basically factions of tribal warlords who control vast regions that are constantly in a state of brink of civil war, and they don't share resources, right? Because now it's a tribal nation again. The libertarian wet dream, which is why we see a lot of the U.S. foreign policy in this freedom mindset, means that we conflate what freedom really is. The freedom to elect somebody who's going to hoard all the resources and then drive away with four cars and a helicopter full of cash that was meant to manage your society like the president of Afghanistan did, means that you actually are not free. You're just part of another system in which you're being exploited. Are you implying that the president of Afghanistan was elected? I'm implying that the election of Afghanistan was just as legitimate as the election here in the United States. How did the transition go? The transition of the Taliban to power in Afghanistan was smoother than the transition of the U.S. elections. The U.S. largely failed in their quest to nation build in Afghanistan, and they would tell you that they failed because that was never an objective. But the actual objective, I think politicians would state, George Bush would say that, well, we had to go in and kill al-Qaeda because al-Qaeda did 9-11. And, I mean, fine, I don't necessarily know that I agree with it. But once you kill bin Laden, I guess, 10 years after 9-11, why are you there for another 10 years? To what extent does nation building exist because you fucked up the early war so much that you had to stay, I guess? It's the we-couldn't-afford-to-leave argument, I think, that a lot of people make. Afghanistan was a sunk cost. It's also interesting because Afghanistan doesn't have a news outlet. Afghanistan didn't have industry. They didn't have colleges. They don't have schools that people want to attend. You know, they don't have any major airports or ports. It's it's basically a, a third world country that a bunch of imperialistic nations wanted to control. And they've been in the middle of infighting for 40-something years, since like 79, I think. So if you think about 79 to now, it's 42 years, there's entire two entire generations of people who have seen nothing but war. In fact, if you're 20-something years old in 1979, you've been fighting for 40 years. You're in your 60s ready to retire, and all you've been doing is trying to survive. Nation building isn't done with bombs, and it's not done from U.S. military in fatigue, and it's not done from shitty NGOs that are basically just mercenaries running around with you know, protection stealing resources i mean afghanistan had nothing to steal so there was really no reason for the imperialists to be there i'm really baffled why it took this long we grew up in the generation that went to war in afghanistan and we have known for our adult lives like war in afghanistan for no apparent reason the u.s fundamentally has never demonstrated an ability to nation build since perhaps post-world war ii when they did the Marshall Plan, and you had East and West Germany, and you did some amount of rehabilitation of absolutely just bomb-to-nothing Europe. But most of that was done under the premise of we need to rebuild so that we can have a foothold against communism. And Korea and Vietnam and Iraq and Afghanistan, they don't have that similar motivation, where if the U.S. fucks up and doesn't succeed, like nothing bad happens. You can say, well, the domino theory was going to happen, and you were going to have communism everywhere, whatever. But that's fundamentally not any different than, okay, Korea was effectively politically controlled by China. You had Vietnam, which was politically controlled by the Soviet Union or China, depending on what era and whether the French were involved and whatever. But there was no impact to the U.S.'s foreign policy if any of these wars, I guess, failed. And the same is true with Iraq and Afghanistan. So they really don't have any incentive to get nation building correct. 
There's no profit in it. Arguably, the reason we were in it, Iraq and Afghanistan was because Dick Cheney led Halliburton and wanted to make a bunch of money and threw no bid contracts out. And I mean, there's there's a for profit motive to perpetuating war, but there's really not a for profit motive to perpetuating nation building or the end of war. There's no transition from the military industrial complex making money from dropping bombs to something actually peaceful and tenable, like building schools or infrastructure or roads or providing internet or building hospitals. The U.S. has never figured out how to warp the profit motive of war to be beneficial to the nation that they are warring with. And until that happens, the local populations are never, ever, ever going to give a fuck about an occupying force and will always oppose it to the better end. It goes back to the argument of what did Afghanistan have to offer. And you could argue it has natural resources. The opium trade is a relatively small billion-dollar-ish thing in Afghanistan. It's not huge. It just kept local warlords happy, really, is what it did. Right. It's a factional, almost gang-related drug trade between, like you said, warring factions of tribalism in a giant, fucked-up country. But I think Afghanistan also has a lot of natural resources in terms of, like, minerals that are generally untapped because there is no infrastructure. And that's where capital could have actually benefited by doing nation building, but apparently they were too stupid. Or Biden fucked it up so much that they have no ability to go back. Let's speak in terms of neoliberalism and neoconservatism. And the neoconservatives push for the war in Afghanistan. They push for all the wars that we get. These are the people that you should actually fucking be afraid of because they're all psychopaths. Paul Wolfowitz, Karl Rove, Donald Rumsfeld, John Bolton. These are individuals who arguably believe Elliot Abrams. The population can be controlled enough in the United States by having a common enemy around the world to fight. In that every time we have a common enemy, the narrative that we're pushing is that we are doing good and helping the world around them. And through this, they can maintain power because we never have wartime transitions. And then that's how we can do imperialism by basically forcing down fake democracy. But they believe, they truly believe that they're doing the right thing. And that, I think, is the scary part. It's just like a Christian believing that Jesus is coming in their lifetime. And they're 95 years old and they have fucking cancer laying in a bed. And Jesus is going to come tomorrow. Like, they actually believe that shit. And that's frightening because you can't tell them otherwise. But the list of known, like, real neoconservatives is long and it's scary, but they will push the fight. And that is the reason why we get into all these wars. So that's the neoconservative point of view, right? The neoliberalism point of view says that if we can tap the natural resources, like you're saying, and we can pay for that war by extracting out the, the natural resources, pay us back, think of it as a loan, similar to what Trump was trying to articulate with the oil in Iraq, then we can help build up the nations and somehow make it a better peaceful place. But I believe wholeheartedly that their type of imperialism, their fascism is downright driven by capitalism, right? The idea of of capitalism has to get in there and start making money, right? The reason why we have to go into these these states as a neoconservative is we have to free the people so they can make choices, the choices to buy stuff, right? And neoliberalism says if we can just get corporations there, it would be better for them. And again, we see that the United States foreign policy has been largely the same foreign policy since they've been fighting, quote-unquote, communism since the 50s, like you rattled off earlier, right? The Koreas, the Vietnam are built up around Taiwan and all those areas trying to beat back China. Or the fact that we trained the current Taliban, which is a Mujahideen, back in the 80s to fight the Russians and created textbooks to teach them and, and indoctrinate them to keep fighting. I mean, we, we literally displaced people through like the CIA intervention that eventually led to the Taliban. That's the blowback. And all of this incoherent rambling basically means that 
neoliberalism, neoconservatism, and capitalism basically fail because they force down imperialism. A lot of isms there. But I want you to know it's all connected. It literally is all connected to trying to exploit another country. So if we look at how capitalism interferes with neoconservatism, which you just laid out, which is these people want to morally do what is correct so that they can nation build elsewhere, so that they can impose the U.S.'s morality, I guess, elsewhere. That's the neoconservative line of thinking here. And they think about it in terms of we must go in and civilize the natives. Imperialism is always civilizing, whereas native action is always primitive. That's right. That's the framing of neoconservatism. And then the framing of neoliberalism is we want to make everything a market force. We want to control the market. And that's we want to control the opium trade. We want to control whatever natural resources there are. If we can just go in and make an investment, we can pay off our initial investment and be profitable. And it's they're both fucked up. And they both are enactments of state violence. In our chronic versus acute violence framing that we've been using in previous episodes, the entire war in Afghanistan can be framed through the, the lens of both of these entities sort of oscillating back and forth over a 20-year period. Throughout the 20-year period, all you see is an enactment of state violence by the U.S. against the people of Afghanistan. You have the first 10 years under Bush, the first eight-ish, is largely just an occupying force. We want to be there because we want to punish the Taliban. We want to impose our morality on the primitive native tribes. Then we kill bin Laden collectively as a human population in the United States. We kill bin Laden, which is what everybody is saying that our objective in Afghanistan was. The important part is here is that people run around with the Constitution in their hand, waving it like it's the most important thing in the world, unless it's a foreign person, and then you kill them without your right to a fair trial. Like, quite literally, when we get imperialism in our blood and we get that taste and we go rabid, it doesn't matter what the ideals of the, of the founding fathers are. It's what the adrenaline junkies love. It's like, it's what the nation loves. Oh, we got Bin Laden. Hell yeah. Oh, we caught Saddam and they fucking hung him without a trial. Awesome. Or they stuck a pole in his ass in Libya. Oh, yeah, that's sweet. It's like, well, wait a minute. Shouldn't they have actually had a trial? Like, shouldn't we have actually done this right? And the answer is... Well, that would have required them to actually give a shit about what they say they believe in. After bin Laden's killing, you have another 10 years of the war. And I think that second 10 years can largely be looked at through the neoliberalism lens of, well, we're here and we've already sunk costs in the first 10 years. So how do we use market forces and like whatever to justify the continued like capital investment in the region? And you saw that play out with some of the hired mercenaries, where instead of having U.S. soldiers there, you had Z or Blackwater or whatever, Eric Prince's branding of basically death squads from fascism actually is called now. And that's profitable for capital. You're already in Afghanistan, so why, why wouldn't we just make more money? And that's kind of being done in the neoliberal context. And then you have this withdrawal that just kind of happened out of nowhere, largely because Trump negotiated it like a dumbass. But Biden got stuck with it and was also too much of a dumbass to realize that if you just pull out, the entire country is going to go back to a right-wing, reactionary, theocratic, fucking hellscape of Taliban. There is nothing different between the Taliban and what, like, Bobert wants to impose. Christians want to impose. There's no difference. The Taliban run around with guns. The right-wing population in the United States run around with guns. They, they're people that are literally arrested to try to kidnap, like, Michigan's governor. Like, training on it, right? There are real, like similarities between the right wing of the united states and their religious beliefs like you know banning abortions and blowing up 
abortion providers, things like that, and, and the type of violence that you're seeing from the Taliban? Uh, so trivia question, uh, just just for a second. Um, what what was the difference between the January 6th coup and the, the Taliban um, taking over Kabul? The Taliban were successful. Even though the Republicans left the gates wide open, the best part was that every fucking weirdo there, the Taliban don't have phones, right? They can't get be tracked. The U.S. spent a lot of money trying to track them with biometrics. So there are people who are in Afghanistan who are in databases of the United States because they scan their eyes and, you know, they kind of come to the United States, they'll know they're from Afghanistan because that's a real thing. But the United States is able to piece together, like, even the shitty B-movie actor who just got caught at the Capitol because they had their phones on. They're taking pictures. It's like this weird parade because it was like the dog that caught the car. Like, they had no idea what they're going to do afterwards. Taliban knew, like, we have a government. Fuck, the Taliban came out today and said, we want women to join our government. And I think that was an important political strategy because the media presentation of the Taliban, the number one thing they say is, oh, this is going to be a step back for women. And it's like you live in a fucking hellscape of a country where people are just indiscriminately killed. And like the number one thing you're worried about is they, they have to wear a hijab. Like how about they don't have fucking running water? Yeah, yeah, they get dysentery and they shit themselves. It's like Yemen. Saudi Arabia requires like the same, the same shit. They hang people. Saudi Arabia, like, like, I don't understand the difference. They arguably don't understand the difference between Afghanistan's Taliban, the government of Pakistan, and all the other Middle Eastern countries. Because on paper, they do the same shit. India, there's a story out of India every single day where some tribe in northern India has beaten or killed or raped a girl because she had sex out of wedlock. And this is in India, 1.7 billion people, whatever it is, 1 billion people. Like, like there's arguably no difference in some of these third and second world countries because it's still tribal. Because you can't get away from tribalism. When, again, we're not saying that tribalism is just like in the political sense, oh, we believe the same things. We're talking about people who are in real tribes who actually have the same morality and the same belief systems because that's how they've all been raised. Because they don't know any different because that's their life. It, it's like driving on the right-hand side of the road. Like You don't drive on the left-hand side of the road because that's not what your tribe does. If you meet another tribe that drives on the left-hand side of the road and it's weird to you, you can either try to adapt or you can fight it. And that's the type of real scenario. That sounds like too simple and dumb, but that's l- literally the scenario when it comes to tribalism and religious beliefs. So the simplest way to describe tribalism, as you just stated it, is it's extreme self-determination. You literally live in a nomadic region in which your rule set is the rule set because your tribe has decided that is the way it is. It's primitive. And it's not primitive as in their belief system is primitive. It's primitive in how it's decided, right? Because there's no there's no negotiations between other factions because you don't negotiate other factions because there's no reason to. But we have the same tribalism here in the United States. We have states. And we have cities and counties. And every city has its own city code. And every county has its own code. And every state has its own code. And the federal government has its own code. You know, talk about building code and just ordinances and everything else. Some cities you can have chickens. Some cities you can't. Some cities you can park on the side of the road and some cities you can't. All these weird rules. It's it's like the voting rights. Everybody's mad about voting rights. But guess what? Voting rights was given to the states. And the Democrats who say that they love voting rights have not done anything until now. And the Republican Party has been chipping away at them. And the Democrats have allowed them for the last 60 years. And this isn't fake. This is real. Like, this isn't no bullshit since the 60s. They've been chipping away at all the voting rights because state ran. The Democrats just stand by going, yeah, this is cool. We don't care. And now it's a problem and they can't fix it because they have no idea how to fix it. Sorry for that tangent, but that's basically why there's an issue with tribalism. And it's the main issue in Afghanistan is that everything's tribal. There's no central authority. 
the U.S. completely failed in creating a central authority because the media wants to say it was corruption, but it's mostly just incompetence and nobody gave a fuck. You don't have to be corrupt to be incompetent. There doesn't have to be a profit motive for you in order to do a bad job. Like, there are just people that are incompetent in positions of power. Plenty of examples of this everywhere. It's not hard to imagine that people in power in Afghanistan who were installed by the Bush administration were completely incompetent at their job. Huh, that's weird. Incompetent people not being able to do their job. The other part is, do you want to put competent people in their jobs? There might not be a motivation to in Afghanistan. You just, you want the people that maybe want the job. Like, there's all sorts of different incentives when you're setting up a government. Well, you have 20 years to set up a government, which is 10% of the time that the U.S. has had time to set up a government. And you've had arguably four different regimes in the United States. Six, if you count Reagan, Bush, more. Seven? Holy shit. So it's Reagan, Bush, Clinton, right? Yep. Bush, Obama, Trump, Biden. And maybe the tail end of Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter was 70, yeah, 79, yeah, tail end Jimmy Carter. It's eight presidents. Eight presidents to put in a government within a foreign country like Afghanistan. That basically collapsed in three weeks when the U.S. withdrew. And if you're the Afghanistan army, what are you going to do? You're going to swap out your Afghan army badge for a Taliban badge. Because why wouldn't you? I guess I'm freaked out on this one because I don't even understand. And I live in corporate America for my day job. Like, I <laughs> see some dumb shit all the time because it's corporate bureaucracy. But I don't even understand how somebody, an adult, said out loud, we're going to go to Afghanistan, we're going to take it over, and the Taliban's going to die off, and everybody in the tribes is going to love us. We're going to be an occupying force that's coming to save who? Who are they saving? Unless you're in the major city centers, the Taliban didn't change your way of life because you've been living underneath Sharia law for 40 years anyways. Like, <laughs> like the U.S. didn't come through and build a thousand schools and... And, and and change the laws and, and make all the women wear bikinis and run around all day with rights and they're the only ones that could drive cars. And I'm only saying this to be radical at the one end of it because that's not what, A, they wanted, and B, what the U.S. did. What the U.S. believes to be the, the rights of people are not what people want in other countries. There are plenty of things that they need that is not like given to them that go way above, way above the rights, way above it. Like, some of the hierarchy of needs, you know, you have your shelter, your food, and your water. Like, that's pretty high up there. And you're going to do what you can to have those needs met. What I'm getting at is, again, we talk about tribalism. Individuals have needs that are not met. And the U.S. comes in and thinks that by imposing the U.S. beliefs and morality, that they're going to somehow, people are going to swoon for the U.S. and fall in love with them. And when the needs of the population are not met for a 20-year period, and then suddenly the U.S. isn't in power, all the libs do is whine about how women's rights are going to take a step back. And it's like, I mean, yes, but there's not running water, there's not shelter, there's not health care. Like, those basic necessities the U.S. did not give a fuck about for 20 years. And the libs just want to push forward this idea of the U.S. was harm reduction by being there for 20 years. And all harm reduction is, is enabling chronic violence. That's all it is. All it is. Same words. It's the same thing. So by acknowledging that the U.S. needed to be there, you're acknowledging that harm is being done by being there. And the wrap-up of this is, in order for there to be progress in Afghanistan, the U.S. needs to not be in Afghanistan. So the Afghanistan war was, is the longest war in U.S. history. We essentially occupied a country without colonizing it, which basically led to us just constantly wasting resources protecting our own troops or contractors and killing off 
the people we were occupying the country from. We didn't do any nation building. We did not build any schools up. We did not save anybody. We did not push, quote unquote, women's rights. We only focused primarily on the city centers, which then led us to skipping out on the rural areas, which then led to basically what we have today, which is the reinstatement of the Taliban government. It is part of a failed U.S. imperialism. In Afghanistan, it's just another brick in the wall of failed foreign policy. For future episodes and to learn more about the worker movement, join us at workermovement.com.